It's uh, great to be here again this morning with you. My name is Ken White, and I serve as the lead pastor at Forest Park Covenant. And Arthur is over at Forest Park giving the message this morning. We're both talking about a very important topic this morning, which is love. But what I, I want to just say a couple of things here that have been wonderful in terms of our interactions with our, our churches. Uh, Justin Saxon is our youth pastor, and Terry Ocas is your youth pastor here. And they've been doing some things together. Terry's been doing, they did a Nerf war over here, and then they were up at Portage Lake Bible Camp together. And a lot of this has been great to do things together, like the food truck and trunk or treat. And Arthur and I have been working together on our, our clergy cluster, which is a bunch of pastors in western Michigan. We get together about once a month and try to encourage each other. And these have been really important for us as we've also had uh, roundtables that DeAndra and Justin have been leading just to talk together and understand some of the things that we're facing together as churches here in Muskegon, seeking to have an influence and an impact for the sake of the kingdom of God here in Muskegon. Now, a lot of you know, uh, maybe some of you don't, but I grew up here in Muskegon and went to uh, Nelson School when I was young. Uh, I'm thinking about this today because I'm going to read a passage from Luke uh, 2, uh, but the later passage that I'm not going to read uh, starts out, th- and there were shepherds abiding in their fields by night. And I remember when I was in third or fourth grade, we had a Christmas pageant at Nelson School, and that was the section of the scripture that I was supposed to memorize and recite. So it was actually one of my first experiences of public speaking around the Word of God uh, at Nelson School. It's an amazing thing to just even think about. Well, today we're going to talk about love, but before I start, let me just uh, pray together and lift our hearts up to the Lord. We pray that you would guide and direct us, Lord, make our hearts open to what you have to say to us. One of the things that's most difficult for us to hear is that you love us, and we pray that you would help us to understand that again and again this morning and throughout our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over at uh, Forest Park, we've been doing a, a series on Advent, and Advent just means, you know, coming. And in Christian history, one of the things that people tend to do is they, they write, uh, light an Advent wreath, and there are five candles. There's the um, hope candle, the peace candle, the love candle, the joy candle, and then in the middle is the Christ candle, which gets lit on Christmas Eve. And so over there, we're on the love candle. And our children's director, Elena Marr, she wrote together a little uh, devotional for our children and put it out. And so I've been just reading what she has to say and thinking about love. And we've been also been talking about our sermon theme is light a candle. And it comes from this phrase that's been used by people like Eleanor Roosevelt and Gandhi. It goes, it is better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness, which sounds nice. It's not exactly the greatest strategy, because the greatest strategy is found in John 1, chapter 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when we light a candle, we are lighting a candle to represent that Christ has come into the world. And as Christ has come into the world, he, he has done these incredible things in our life. And one of the most incredible things is that he has shown us the love of God, what it means for God to love us, and what it means for us to love God in return and to love other people. 
You know, when we start talking about love, it's important to actually kind of define what love means because I think that sometimes we just think, well, love, love is love, right? But the way that the Bible talks about love, the way that theology talks about love is really important. So here's one definition that a, a theologian gave. Love is wholehearted devotion involving all of life. Wholehearted devotion involving, involving all of life. Oftentimes, we make this expression of love when we get married. And we exchange vows and promises. I've only given really two promises. Promise to God to follow him with all my heart and soul. And to uh, love my wife. And when people want me to make promises about the future, I don't, I don't usually do that. Because I'm not wholeheartedly devoted to them in their life. I'm wholeheartedly devoted to God and God's cause in their life. So to love them means to love God, what God's doing in their life and to seek that in their life. And sometimes we get confused about that. Further, the scriptures say, this is, this is really, uh, I think you'll be able to complete this sentence, God is love. God is love. 1 John 4.8. Now, it's interesting that you don't, you don't actually turn that around and say love is God. Because if you do that, you make a feeling the sort of guiding principle of the, of the universe. But the guiding principle of the universe is God. The controlling principle of the universe, it's not an abstract quality, one theologian says, but a sovereign living God who's the source of all love and who as love himself loves. So love is living and it's personal and it's active. You know, you can walk in a forest and you can feel a kind of feeling, and you can maybe think that that's love. I, I love walking in the forest. I love walking along the shore. But the lake doesn't love me. The trees don't love me. God who made the lake and made the trees, he loves me. And so oftentimes when you go out into the world, and you, you feel that feeling. What you're actually feeling is God expressing himself through all of these things that we feel. And part of the, the realization that God is love and God is living and personal act and active is that when God expresses love to us, expressing it in the same way that people who love you express it to you. That is to say, when somebody loves you, they don't just tolerate you. Otherwise, they're not loving you. They love you. They love everything about you. I love my children. Jonathan, who's married to Kendra, Jesse, who's married to Kaylee. I love my wife. I love them personally and actively. So when you start thinking about God as love, God isn't just tolerating you. He actually loves you with all of his heart, mind, and soul. He loves you. So you might want to just start as we're walking through this to just say to yourself, God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Me and you can put your name in there. God loves me, Ken. God loves me, Mary. God loves me, Deandra. God loves who I am. And the assertion that God is love means not simply that love is one of his activities, but that all his activity is loving. Okay? So when you start thinking about God being righteous and God being holy, he's also loving in, in the midst of that. 
So sometimes when you think about your own failing from God, your sin, and God wants you to come back to him by repenting, God is wanting that because he loves you. He wants you to turn away from the things that are going to really just basically hurt you. Who doesn't want that for their children? We see our children going down a wrong path. We love them, so we want them to turn away from that. They might not like that. You know, when somebody comes up to me and says some, you know, some sort of critical thing, depending on who they are, I accept that as an act of love. You know, it always feels a little weird, doesn't it, when somebody says, hey, you ought to think about doing it this way. It just depends on who it is. But if it's your spouse or your children, then they're probably expressing it because they don't want you to do something dumb because they love you, right? So God is the same way. Everything he does for us is salted by love. And at our very core is the image of God. We are made in the image of God, Genesis 2. Which means, since we're made in the image of God, we are designed to do what? To love. That's why when you are, you watch a movie that makes you cry, for me, when I watch a movie that makes me cry, it's because something is happening on the level of love. People are loving each other. It just really moves me because right at the core of who I am, I want to love and be loved. And so I keep coming back to this idea of the love of God. I remember a number of years ago, I was listening to this guy seminar, and he was uh, talking about finances and money and stuff like that. And I had heard him maybe 10 years before that and when I went to hear him, he was about my age that I am now. I'm about 60, just so you know. And I remember he said, you know, the older I've got, people have said, you know, what's most important to you, John? And he said, the older I've got, I believe less things, but the things I do believe, I believe more strongly. And so over the years, uh, as I've preached and talked, you know, there are a few themes that I, are, I just keep coming back to. Grace, the grace of God, and joy, and love. Again and again and again. And my hope is as we, as we go through this, you will not only understand how love is, a, you know, a force in your life, but it's a force in your life because God loves you and seeks to love you. And so this brings us back to the Christmas story. And I just have two points about that. The first one is this. Accept that God loves you. Accept it, that God loves you. And there's a classic Christmas passage. I'm going to read. It's from Luke 2. If you have your Bible, you might want to open up to it. Luke 2. I'm going to read a few other passages. I'll announce those so you can look at them. Luke 2, 1 through 7. Here's my question for you as I read it. What does this passage have to say about love because the word love is not actually said in it but it has really powerful things to say about love so here's how it goes Luke 2 1 through 7 in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world you know as an aside the reason why the Romans were taking a census is is guess why so that they know who to tax you get the numbers and then you know how many people are there and then you tax people according to the number, numbers of people. And that's why tax, paper, payer, uh, tax collectors were not loved people because they would inflate the dollar amount that they would collect. And they would squeeze out of people. So at the beginning of this, you have the reverse of love. You have taxes, right? This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, who had been announced that he was going to marry Mary, because Mary was pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. It's, a, it's about 10, 10 or so miles away from Jerusalem, Bethlehem is. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, when you read that passage, there's a lot of non-love. There's the fact that the innkeeper is like, no, you go out into the stable. But when you're thinking about it from the standpoint of God loving us, we see here that Christ being born in weak humanity means God loves you and me in our humanity, in who we are, that God loves us enough to come into our world and experience what we experience. So that God isn't a distant God loving us. God is a God right in our midst who loves us. This past week I was interviewing uh, a supported missionary. His name is Michael Panther. And he grew up in South Sudan. And because he grew up there and a number of other reasons, he, he contracted a disease, which if he had been born in America would have been treated with antibiotics and it would have been done and over with. But because he couldn't get access to that, he became disabled to the extent that he could no longer walk and can no longer walk to this day. And one of the uh, persons in our church at the time, Tim and Jana, they were working in a, a nearby hospital and they began to get to know Michael. And they brought him into their family and helped him in his education in nearby Kenya. And as he was hearing, he's telling me this story. As he was understanding the God that they served, one of the first realizations he had about himself was that God saw him and valued him and loved him. And I was just listening to that, that just fundamental thing about that because within his culture, it's estimated that there are 600 or so, 500, 1,000 disabled persons. And they're generally hidden so that you don't see them because there aren't resources to help a disabled person. And that's why a disabled person in that area of the world doesn't see themselves as having value. But the first move that Michael understood in his life was that God loved him and valued him. And this leads on to a number of things in his life. He accepted that God loved him. And we need to do the same. We need to accept that God loves me. I just, I don't know where you are in your life. Like what you've gone through, or what you've suffered, or how you feel about yourself. But regardless of all of that, all of your sin, all of the things that you feel separates you from God, the things that you feel like you've done wrong, the things you have done wrong. God loves you and values you. He accepts you. You know, when we were singing Emmanuel, the word Emmanuel, you know, it's, it's a God word. In, in Hebrew, they tended to put together words that had words like uh, El or 
Yah, and those are references to God. So Joshua has the word God in it. Emmanuel has the word God in it. And the front part of that just means it's, it's a preposition. It means with. God with. And Isaiah 7.14 just references that this sign that God is going to give us, that he loves us, is that God will be with us. You know, I know a lot of you would like a different kind of sign. Like you're, you're suffering in, in your life or something's going wrong and maybe you need resources or maybe you need this or that. What God promises us is his presence in our life. And the, premise, uh, the promise of his presence is a promise of love. Matthew 1 earlier says to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God being with us simply means that God loves us. Well, welcome, Arthur. We're glad that you're here this morning. You know, a number of years ago, I had a friend of mine come up to me, and, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It doesn't happen a lot in my life. Maybe it happens a lot. He said, God has something he wants me to say to you. And I was like, okay, tell me, <laughs> tell me what it is. He said, God loves you, Ken. I was like, well, I, I already know that. What else did he say? He said, that's it. That's it, Ken. God loves you. And you know, over the years, a lot of people have said a lot of things to me. I've had a lot of people come up and, and talk to me as a pastor and a leader, and they have lots of things to say, but that's one of the few things I remember. That God, God loves me. And that's the thing that God wants you to accept, that God loves you, and that he loves you with all of his being. And when we understand how God loves us, we understand who God is, and we begin to see his greatness and his glory. You know, that word glory, that's another one of those words. What it simply means is the very essence of a thing, the glory of something. So when we talk about glorifying God, we're like saying, we're going to praise him for actually who he is. And so if God is love, the very essence of God is love. And so when we accept that he loves us, we're actually praising him for what he does. We're praising him back for, for what he does. And when we begin to accept that into our life and love others, then we begin to glorify God in a different way, which will be my second point. But this idea of God being glorified in love is typified in what is perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we, when we think about going to heaven and having everlasting life, I don't know, what, what do you think of? What do you think is going to happen? It will be an endless experience of the love of God. I've, I've been in a lot of worship services. This, this was just wonderful. I took a little video of you guys singing you know, I mean, it's just beautiful harmony, just beautiful, beautiful. I've been in worship services, let's just say they haven't been as good as that. Not by a long shot. And so sometimes when you think about worship, you know, if you think that heaven's going to be an endless worship service, if it was like that, well, then good. 
But if it's not, you know, and see, uh, worship itself is an expression of hearts that are filled with the glory of God. It's just an endless cycle of people loving God and God loving them back. And there's just no end to it. And so that's the first thing. We need to accept that God loves us. Here's the second point. We need to love others the way that God loves you. We don't love others out of our weakness as human beings. That is, we don't force ourselves to love people. Although it's an important thing to be disciplined and train yourself to do it. But you know, if your spouse or your child says to you, like, Dad, do you love me? And you said, well, you know, I'm supposed to. So, yeah, I guess so. Well, you know, neither they nor you would feel good about that. But you know what it is. It's like when you love somebody, when you love your spouse, when you love your children, when you love your parents, it flows out of you. Why does it flow out of you? Because you're made in the image of God. You're actually made to love people. This is one of the central understandings of the Christmas story. God coming into the world to save the world because he loves us in order that we would become like him and able to truly love people. And that's why, just as an aside, that's why forgiveness is so important. Because a lack of forgiveness is the shutting off of the valves of love, right? And since we're designed to love people, when we don't forgive people, we shut that love valve off. We're actually going against our nature as God's children. That's why we have to forgive. Just as a side note about love. Now, there's another uh, passage about the way that we're to love others, the way that God loves us. And it's, it's also a Christmas passage. It's, it's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. One of, my, one of my all-time favorite passages. You know, in it, uh, basically, what is said is that Christ came into the world being in the very nature of God. Didn't consider equality with God something to grasp on, but emptied himself and came and, and, and suffered for us and died for us. Now, at the very beginning of Philippians 2, it says this. If, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The example of Christ coming into the world is the example of love. And what's interesting about Philippians, you know, it's a church letter. You know, I just kind of envision them having their after-church potluck and then just reading it. To each other because it was a letter that was sent to them and you know I don't know if you know the letter very well but at, at the very end in chapter 4 he addresses two people in the congregation widely believed to be two women Euodia and Syntyche and he says to them you know I'm calling you to agree with each other work it out because the church is a place where we work out many, many things, but one of them is that we have to serve one another and love one another. And it all flows from the love of Christ. 
So thinking now about ministry and how that works, going back to the story about Michael Panther. You know, he, he understands that God loves him. And Tim and Jana bring him into his family. And they, they bring him over to the United States. And he goes to, decides to go to LSU, which is where the SEC plays. Uh, teams like Alabama and Georgia, the team that the University of Michigan is going to beat in a couple of weeks, I hope. <laughs> I hope. Um, but he goes to LSU. And while he's there, he experiences a lot of things. One of the things he does is he goes over to Maranatha. And Johnny and friends have a seminar there. I don't know if you know Johnny Erickson, tada. She was in a, a diving accident when she was really young. And she was paralyzed her entire life. I think she's in her 70s or 80s now. And she's had this incredible ministry to people who have been disabled. And there's all of these people at the seminar. And Michael is there in a wheelchair. And he begins to get in his mind that maybe the thing he needs to do in ministry is to provide wheelchairs to people in Kenya. And so he, he talks with people and he starts up a ministry. And he gets together wheelchairs. They've been able to distribute about 3,000 wheelchairs. He has a lot more wheelchairs to distribute because, as I said, there's a half a million people who are disabled. And he said they would come to the distribution center and people would come to get the wheelchairs. And oftentimes, they were literally crawling to the distribution center, crawling on the ground because they didn't have a wheelchair they, and they had nobody to get them there. Or people would carry them to the distribution center. And I, you know, he's telling me this. And I'm just, I'm just feeling my, my just welling up inside. And I said, that just must be an amazing thing when you're distributing it to, to the people. He says, yeah. Everybody distributing it is crying. People receiving it are crying. You know, we adjust the wheelchair so it actually works for them because there's people there that are craftsmen and engineers and they, they adjust the wheelchair. And it's just this incredible thing. And I said, you know, Michael, it reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 2. You know that story? It, it starts out with this phrase. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat. He was lying on it. No, no, I, I don't know how the homeowner felt about that. But they, they lowered this man down. And the first thing that Jesus says to him isn't, you're, you're healed. What does he say to him? Your sins are forgiven. And the people around him, the religious leaders, they're like, ah, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. And Jesus, knowing what they're saying, which is another miracle, you, you try reading somebody else's mind and see how that goes for you. He says, just to show you, if you think that, that it's harder to heal, then I'll heal him, and then that will show you that he's forgiven. So then he heals him. Of course, we know that actually forgiveness is the greater work. And so he's, he's healed. And because they can see that he's been healed, they also must infer that he's been forgiven. That is, that he's valued by God, that he's loved by God. And the people that carried him there, they loved him. And I, you know, I was just talking with Mike, I just was thinking, this is what ministry does. True ministry of God that is expressing the love of God 
opens up everybody in the orbit to the love of God. Because the people who are serving the disabled, their love is opened up. The people in the outskirts, they're seeing the love of God. The person is healed. The love of God just like explodes into reality. I'm always in awe of people like Michael Panther. I just always am. Because all I do is just preach. <laughs> but people like that, they, they put ministries together and they show embodied love. So we're to love others the way that God loves us. One theologian said, love, not hate, is the mark of the Christian. Love, not hate, is the mark of Christian. They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. You know, uh, this last verse I'm just going to share with you is from Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Remember I had said earlier that this guy had said that the things that he now believes, he believes fewer things, but the things he believes, he believes with more conviction. And as I've, as I've gotten older and I read this passage, things just happen inside of me. They, things open up and I begin to see and understand what love means. So this is what Paul prays in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What fills us up? The love of God. It's love that is wide enough to reach across every culture, long enough to reach across all time, high enough to reach up to the very heavens and deep enough to reach to the most desperate sinner. I think that covers all of us here, right? May the Lord bless us today and in all days that we may know the love of God. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Father, for sending your Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to show us that you love us and we praise you and glorify you, and pray that not only would we understand your love, but that we would become vessels of love and ministers of love to the people around us, to the people we do not yet know, to glorify you as your kingdom comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Testing. Thank you, Pastor Ken. We appreciate you so very much. Uh, very, very powerful, powerful message. Very, very powerful. Maybe you're out there. And you may not know 
Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may not feel like you have the power to love like that. And it's hard if you don't have Jesus in your life. Because you, you always look to yourself and your feelings and your emotions. But when you have Jesus in your life and you make him the center of your life, then we can do what Jesus wants us to do. And that's be Jesus with skin on it. Would everyone please stand to your feet? Let us bow our heads. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want you to raise your hand. If you want him in your life, just raise your hand and you can put it back down. Amen. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else that don't know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you want to accept him into your heart today? Anyone else? Or is there someone out there who you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, but you know you have not been walking the way you're supposed to be walking. You kind of like slipped off to the beaten path and you want to get back. It's between you and the Lord. Don't raise your hand. Don't look around. Um, It's about you and the Lord. If you want to get back on the right path and you want God to be the center of your life, raise your hand, put it back down. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, today, We want to make you the Lord of our life. We want to rededicate our life to you. We want you to be the Lord of our life. Give us that love that goes from heart to heart and breast to breast. Thank you for blessing us with Jesus Christ and the love that he showed each one of us. And today, we commit our life back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who rededicate their lives and you made a commitment, I want you to put it on a card and write your name on the card and so we can reach out to you. And if you want and you feel comfortable enough coming to the altar, we want to pray with you. But if you don't feel comfortable enough coming to the altar, Just please write it on a card so we can reach out to you and pray with you. Uh, These are very challenging times, and we need God on our side. Thank you, Pastor Ken, for allowing God to use you in such a mighty, mighty way. We appreciate you so much. I promise you. Thank you. Lord, as we leave this place, never your presence, allow your Holy Spirit to reign in our life. Thank you for the gift of giving. You gave your son, and we want to give our life back to you. As we prepare to give in our offering, as we leave this place online, those who are out there that's giving with your tithe and offerings, Lord, bless those who have to give and those who have not. But Lord, let them be free in their spirit as they be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Be with us, guide our hearts, give us traveling mercy, as we travel today, headed to Detroit to the Pistons game, Lord, don't let us have any mechanical difficulties. Uh, let us have a great time and enjoy each other. We bind any kind of demonic forces that's in our life that can create any kind of discourse with anyone. Thank you for the friendship and the unity. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. The altar is open if you want to come up for prayer. Arthur, you want prayer?